gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. I'm gonna show the whole world why I was the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary. I'm back, baby. Broadcasting from Manchester in the United Kingdom, this is the Aaron Meta Show. Tenth of March, two thousand fifteen. You're listening to the Aaron Meta Show on Mixcloud.com forward slash Aaron Meta on the RSS feeds through Stitcher app, through Player FM, through iTunes, all the good podcast distributors who uh, pick up the show and uh, put it out for you. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know the music sounds pretty nice right now, but. Uh, what we're about to get into is uh, probably not so great, so uh, we're going to be concentrating on the election, which uh, I said we were going to be doing a show for, and obviously it's been getting put off from time to time, and uh, we finally we finally got into it as well. Uh, Harry, unfortunately, can't be with us tonight. Uh, he's uh, currently uh, staying over with his girlfriend, so we can't blame him there. And also, uh, Josh isn't on the show this week because, really, he doesn't really understand, basically, uh, all respect to him, you know, we all talk about all stuff like in the 90s and things like that, but uh, he's based, because he's based in the United States and because uh, he's not uh, overall political, uh, he doesn't really know too much about the uh, the UK election, so I thought it wouldn't be fair to have him on the show, basically just sit there quietly and not be able to contribute, so Josh will be on next week, and we might do some stuff in between if he has any time, but uh, for the meantime, we're just going to concentrate on this. Because uh, Harry is uh, not with us today, we've actually got another special guest. He was a independent candidate in this all, in the UK election last week, and he uh, polled over 390 votes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, independent candidate Matthew Torbett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Aaron. No problem. And, uh, well, I mean, I don't know what your mood is right now. I mean, mine is um, not so great about it, and I think we're going to get further into it. But uh, I would like to ask about your the whole the whole election from your point of view, how you think it went, and um, basically from start to finish, if you could explain for us for all that, and yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, where would you like me to begin? With, with my own campaign, with the, the UK campaign? Actually, yeah, let's, um, let's start from the ground up. So uh, tell me about what your campaign and uh, how you perceive it went uh, over the last couple of months. I mean, my campaign, I, I thought it was a very, very big success. I mean, 290 votes on the outset doesn't seem like a lot. Um, but the thing is, I was the only independent candidate in the in the Cheadle constituency. Uh, I was up against six parties and sort of came fifth overall so the fact that I've been two political parties in the first place is quite good um, UKIP did very well in the elections and I sort of received 10% of what, what they got um, in Cheadle and when we started it, you know I've only ever been one person on my own I've had no budget um, you know anything I've done has been completely on my own so we always said from the outset any votes that I got outside of friends and family was a success because it showed that my message was getting out there so to receive nearly 400 votes, I think, in, in a, a very tight marginal seat between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, um, I, th- I think was a, was a success, really, and a great starting point for where we want to go in the future. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I met you at uh, one of the hustings, uh, I believe, in uh, when when you were at the church in uh, in Cheadletown. And uh, I have to say, when uh, obviously you know uh, me and Mark Hunter go back uh, quite a couple of years, but uh, I reckon if uh, you know if uh, Mark for whatever reason wasn't able to get into it, you know, he probably would have got my vote at the end of the day. So uh, you know, it's uh, and I, I do mean what I say. You know, when when you so when you stood up there, you know, when I said you know I wish we had six hundred and fifty of you because you know I do really genuinely think that you know you meant what you meant when uh, when you were speaking. So. It was very kind of you. The thing is, I do mean what I say because I think, as an independent, I think I think you have a lot more basis to, to sort of have your own opinion. I think if you, a lot of the times, you stand for a political party, you have to toe the party line. So when I'm mm. on the stage with people there from Labour and the Conservatives, they're having to think, what did Dave say this morning, or what did Ed say yesterday afternoon? What do I have to say on this? Rather than giving their own opinion, they're sort of having to go by what a party says. And uh, you know, especially when you're in there voting, you sort of go with what the party says. And if you if you sort of go against that, you're considered a rebel. And I find it hard to think you're considered a rebel for having your own opinion. I think we'd be all better for people that have their own views and put them out there personally. Well, as the presidential nature that seems to have uh, engulfed our election system, and obviously uh, that was on show uh, this time around. So. I mean, obviously, um, I don't know how much uh, you were in touch to the the outside world when you were in psych, you know, when all the votes were being counted. But uh, I mean, did you get the opportunity to see some of the news that was coming out at the beginning at ten o'clock uh, when the exit polls came out? I mean, what was your first perception of what was going on when the actual accounting was going on? It was it was one of devastation. Actually, I must admit, I I was sort of leaving to go to the the town hall for. For our own count and for the sort of the, all the constituencies in Stockport's count, and when the exit poll come out just after ten o'clock, it was it, it, I, I was scared witless um, at the thought of a majority Conservative government. For for those that I was sticking up for throughout my campaign, those that are the vulnerable, people that are disabled, people that are elderly, people that are sick, those that are jobless and homeless, are going to be the ones that are hit hardest by it. And um, I, I was devastated. And the day after. Um, well, the morning after we we sort of got our our result at just after seven in the morning for for whatever reason, the the, the atmosphere in our ho- household I can only say was like someone had died. It was such an empty feeling, um, and because you don't know where these these cuts are going to be coming from, it, it's the, the uncertainty that scares you the most. If you knew where they were coming from, you might be able to prepare yourself. Whatever's going to come is going to be a very nasty surprise for a lot of people within the UK. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, for, and I'll forget, don't get me wrong, you know, I have friends who are in the Conservative Party, and I'm not going to say they didn't work their socks off for the selection because they did, but uh, I mean, for me, it just feels like it's undeserved. Because, you know, really, if you look at the the way the electoral system played out, I mean, let's face it, the Conservative Party had to uh, poll a lot less voters in order to gain more success, if you will, because of the way the first-past-the-post system actually works in this uh, in this country. And what we ended up with really didn't feel like a like a fair shake. I mean, for you know, I really did sympathise with Douglas Carswell, even though he's uh, in UKIP, even though I consider him one of the uh, you know one of the more friendly of uh, parts of the of the UKIP uh, movement, if you will. And when he stood up there and uh, said that you know, despite the fact that we've polled nearly four million votes, we've only ended up with one. We ended up with like one less MP out of this election. And for me, you know, that that was one of the first times I actually, uh, you know, sat there uh, looking at the television, thinking, you know what, F- you know, maybe there's a br- maybe the broken clock strikes 
uh, right uh, twice a twice a day. You know, uh, the fact is that maybe our you know, well, for a, I have known for a while that our electoral system just isn't up to stra- scratch to deal with our modern day politics. I said, well, this is it. You need a parliament that's proportional of, uh, of what the voting public are asking for. The thing is, when the European elections came around, that's done a proportional basis. I think I'm right in saying that the majority of your work on a proportional basis, apart from France, who have a, have a bit of a, a funny system on, uh, you know, they, they have their first, second and third choices and it's worked on that way. We we must be the only country left in Europe that work on the first half of the post. And the reason why it won't change is because the main it doesn't suit the main parties to have sort of a proportional representation um, because they, they'll be left with less than majority. And I think it suits very old system that suits the two main parties being Labour and the Conservatives, which is why they've always voted against it. It's always been the minor parties such as Liberal Democrats, your Greens and um, UKIP that would vote for it because it'll benefit them. Um, but I think that you need more more different voices in Parliament. I mean, I'm I'm no fan of UKIP's policies and I'm no no fan of what what they do um, running up to an election, but. Like you say, it, it must it must be frustrating, and even the Greens. I think if it worked out in proportional representation, I think the Gre- uh, the UKIP would have had eighty odd um, MPs as opposed to one. I think the Greens, rather than having their one, would have had um, forty odd, thirty odd MPs. The SNP would have only had twenty odd. And if you sort of look at the balance of power, it's uh, I think there's definitely a conversation worth having. It certainly needs to be looked at because it's an age-old system that doesn't work for a lot of people, apart from those those that are the main parties. Yeah, the one thing that frustrated me was the. I think you know, obviously the the. I think the big battle that took place within this election was austerity versus anti-austerity. I mean, would I be right in saying that? I think, I think you would be. Yeah. Um, I think there's this this myth that austerity is needed. Uh, I think you know I've said on record many a time what we could have done in 2008 is uh, followed Iceland's lead and jailed the bankers that were responsible, jailed the MPs that had overseen it, and made them pay the money back because all the other uh, G7 countries in Europe, your Germany's, your France, your Italy's, have looked at austerity. They've tried it and gone. This doesn't work. Yeah, but um, there's a big difference between obviously what goes on in Iceland and what goes on in this country, and that is that uh, there was a unified front in regards to dealing with the bankers there. In this country, we don't have that, and you know that's the big criticism that I've had with the uh, with the anti-austerity movement. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you you know, there's going to be this uh, big meeting that's going to be taking place for the People's Assembly in Manchester in the next couple of days. And right now I'm thinking, well, you know, when we walk into there, what's going to be said? Because, you know, no one can really go into that meeting really saying that, you know, what really there's been any progress that's been made since the uh, the establishment of the People's Assembly back in 2013. Well, the thing is, I mean, I'm a big supporter of the People's Assembly. I was there, it's inauguration in Manchester, and I also was there the, the first sort of national demonstration down in London when it had been going a year or so. I think what they do is a very good group of people with real positive um, ideas. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not going to be easy what people are wanting to do to put up a unified front against, you know, some very powerful people, your transnational corporations, your bankers, your MPs with interest in private health care and whatnot. But I think you have to ask yourself, do we put up a fight and, you know, try and... Try and um, 
put a voice out to people that don't have a voice and go, well, we're not going to stand by and let these cuts go on if needs be. Or do we just roll over and let them do it anyway? Yeah. But the problem um, I had with this election like, front was... Yeah, I mean, the problem I had with the uh, with the front was is that now look, I'm not saying that you know dealing with Rupert Murdoch and dealing with some of the most uh, powerful elements in our society is not going to be an uphill struggle. I don't say that. I don't say that's not going to be a problem in the slightest. I know that's an uphill task. You know, don't get me wrong on that. The big problem I had was was um, I mean, if you look at some of the constituencies, right? Um, you know, you look at some of the b- bigger ones and. I mean, who, where did you see the candidates who were standing there? I mean, you know, the, the People's Assembly right now is made up of, I believe, uh, like an underst- like a, a knowledge of understanding through a document that was published in the Guardian, you know, something like that, and had the signatures of Caroline Lucas from the Green Party, even though she's no longer leader anymore, and Natalie Bennett is, and he had the signatures of other prominent uh, people of the left on on, on there. But when you when you when you moved away from that, and uh, we moved away from the People's Assembly, we went into this election and all put our party hats on. We, I realised that in some of the constituencies, they were standing against each other, which made absolutely no sense. Well, I know what you mean. Um, what it is is, you know, you look at the way Labour has shifted over the years, especially coming up to Tony Blair's election, mm. from what was a sort of a very left party has moved almost centre right slightly. Um, and is that far up the Conservatives? It's hard to tell the pair of them apart. Um, looking after that squeezed middle, as they like to call it. So what you what you have, which is frustrating at times, is similar parties that stand for very similar things standing against each other in the same constituencies, nicking votes off each other. Um, and it's hard because you want you want it to work, but you need almost like a unified left. You can't have Tusk standing in one area against the Greens and, um, you know, any other anti-austerity party because they're going to be standing for exactly the same thing with regards to cuts. Um, and it must be imagine you being... have unity in other parties yeah. like that. It's, it, it, you know, you, you are nicking votes off each other yeah. when if you came together as one um, and un- under one banner, you could be more progressive, which is why similar heads need to stay together as opposed to forming off forming different splinter groups all over the place. Yeah, this is the problem. Is like you know we have like organisations like you know the Coalition Against the Resistance or whatever, and you have like mm. the uh, the you know you have Left Unity, you have these uh, People's Assemblies, you have all these anti-austerity groups. But this is this is the thing: they are not all on the same mind frame, and they all have their own different uh, opinions of basically how things should be done. And really, you can't mount an anti-austerity. Uh, movements on that basis. I mean, for example, imagine if... Um, I, mean, I mean, this is probably going to be a bad example, but it's the only one I can really put in my mind at the moment. You, you know you have, like, in America, where you have, like, the Republican Party and you have the Democrat Party. Mm. And so you have... Uh, you know, what is the Republican Party made out of? It's made out of the uh, the libertarians that are somewhat, you know, sane enough to kind of, you know, be within the uh, the, the main block, which they know is going to get them success. It's made up of the uh, the social conservatives, the uh, the small business conservatives, the large business conservatives, which are the ones that are really out of touch with the you know the Republican Party, the uh, the the big wigs, if you will, the um, the the one the the liberals of yesteryear, if you will, you know the ones that basically say that you know today's liberals are going to be tomorrow's conservatives, those types of people that have fallen into the Republican Party, and you have that unified front, and they're the ones who, you know nine, ten times out of ten are the ones that usually are the favourites to uh, get a president into the Oval Office, and then you have uh, the Democrats 
which is made out of the, you know, the um, the far left, the ones that have yet to uh, basically make their way into, like, you know, the organizations like the, the socialist parties or the communist parties or the Greens. You have the um, the, the moderate left, uh, the, the blue dogs, who would nest themselves in the center and would have some right-leaning policies, but mainly would identify as being center-left. And that's what you have with the Democrats, and obviously they pushed uh, Obama to the moon, and that's why he's been there since, since 08. And, you know, for me, it feels like, you know, imagine if we had, um, I mean, let's say, you know, the Labour Party decided to, uh, you know, decided to make that shift and decided to, you know, not only um, go with the, uh, uh, well, what Chakramuna was saying this morning with uh, being a bit more pro-business, but yet having left-leaning feelings towards, uh, you know, the welfare states. Uh, economics, uh, the way we deal with uh, large corporations, you know, when they're being too big to fail, and mix that in with the liberals, the the socialists, and those who identify with the left. And to me, I believe you know they would be a more of a a more of a fight against the Conservative Party, because there is a unified front, a completely different alternative to that. Yes, it would be a little, you know, it would be a little, you know, disorganised. Yes, it would have its problems, and yes, it would have its internal struggles. What big party doesn't? But it would be a far better situation to go fighting on that front than it would be then, you know, the uh, disarray that we've currently got right now with the progressives and the left that we have in this country. Well, yeah, because we have left parties that are traditionally left and they want what what old Labour was and they try and stand for what old Labour was and you have Labour that now is sticking up for working people and as you say more pro-business I think what what the Labour Party needs to do is you know as we've shown you can't win um, you can't win the election being centre-right because the the Conservatives are already over that side you need to come back to the left because I think the the party that we've seen did the best in the election as opposed to the Conservatives who won a majority was the SNP and what they stood for and they're not even part of the People's Assembly and they're not even part of the People's Assembly. You know, this uh, this go-it-alone organisation that's made up of Scottish nationalists with a progressive agenda did better than what we did down here. It's like, it's it's preposterous. Because because the main, the main party that was going for things such as Labour aren't part of the People's Assembly. That, that, that's that's sort of your issue straight away. Oh, yeah, well, yeah I'll accept that, yeah. Haven't been. So, you, you know, you need to come together and realise we need to start... It's worth noting that the Labour MPs that did the best in their areas and won the biggest majorities were socialist MPs that were trade unionists, uh, anti-austerity and anti-trident. Uh, there, sort of Jeremy Corbyn down in Islington, I think he got over 60% of his vote. Dennis Skinner in Bolsover is exactly the same, ex-minor, uh, a man of the left, got 50% of his vote. John McDonnell was the same in another seat. So these are Labour MPs. They're absolutely uh, hammering a majority. You, you have to understand, wh- why are they hammering that majority? It's because they were standing for things that people believe in, regardless of whether they're pro-business, whether they're you know, um, on a decent wage or whatever. Yeah, because I'm, I think I'm all with... for being pro-business, but I think it's about having priorities. If you can't look after the most vulnerable and poor within your state and you've got the Red Cross um, supplying food banks and support uh, for over a million people, 
then I think that needs to be dealt with first, to be completely honest, before you start getting your other houses in order. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I mean, like, uh, let's face it, you know, the Dennis Skinners and, uh, you know, I think it was Andrew McDonald, another one that you said was uh, another John one. John McDonald. John McDonald, do apologise. You know, yeah. though, those, you know, Dennis Skinners and the John McDonalds of this world, they're definitely not going to go away because of the, uh, basically because of the first-past-the-post system, obviously also the social demographics of their constituencies that they represent. I mean, there's always going to be uh, those who uh, find themselves on the further to the left of Labour uh, purely because of uh, their, their 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 ideological shifts and also saying what you said before, that they're saying things that uh, you know their constituents want to hear, you know, because obviously they don't come on a, the most fortunate side, whereas uh, you also got the opposite of that on the Conservative Party. Let me, let's face it, the day that Chelsea gets a Labour MP is going to be the day that Satan skates to work. I mean, uh, the, those are areas that uh, are totally dominated by the conservative movement and uh, those who uh, are riding around, you know, living in big houses, you know, driving around Bentleys, you know, they're definitely not going to be voting Labour anytime soon unless there's a massive ideological shift. Uh, that uh, you know the Labour Party wants to pro- wants to bring in, but uh, I mean, yeah, th- there's always going to be those ones. But the main, as we all know, in these elections, the main cheese, if you will, that all the uh, all the mice want to eat are the ones that are in the uh, the marginals. And uh, obviously, that did not work in Labour's favour at all. And uh, the Tories either extended their majorities or just basically just ate them up. I think I think what it was, um, especially in the area I studied, I think it was similar up and down the country, is people weren't necessarily looking at the local candidate and voting for the local candidate. They were voting for David Cameron and the Conservatives. That was the main thing. They were looking more at a national point of view and they were taken in by what was the politics of fear of an Ed Miliband uh, government possibly propped up by the SNP. Mm. I think people were uncertain of what that may, may leave us with um, if it came back to sort of a Scottish referendum. And... That's that's why the Conservatives did a lot better in the marginals than what Labour did. I think across Greater Manchester alone, Labour had 15 key seats that they wanted to try and nick from the Conservatives or the Liberal Democrats. I think they only walked away with three. Yeah. Um, you know, the Conservatives sort of <laughs> took away the rest. And I think the reason for that is people purely looked at the national picture and thought, no, no, we mustn't change this so-called strong economy that we now have. We don't want to... I think they've just been taken in by it a lot now. Yeah. Not, um, any disrespect to the, the national, you know, people of the, uh, of the country on a national level, but I think I was in the. You look. At, you have to look at policy starting at home and build from that. Personally, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that worked. To be quite honest with you, I mean, I got to be honest that that was the you know this whole thing about you know t- stoking up fears of the Scottish National Party. I'm surprised that actually went down with uh with english voters obviously it works so you know i guess you know at the end of the day i don't always prefer pre- i don't always say that i'm right you know don't don't get me wrong you know just because uh, i've been right on some of the occasion doesn't mean i'm 100 percent right at the you know the time there's obviously you know a margin of error in some things i say but you know um you would think though with uh, some with some of the um you know let's say for example you know you're a fat you know you you're you have a you're a family and you have a kid right now who's come back from university, has had to move back in with his parents, struggling to hold down a job. I mean, you would think, you know, and I'm sure there's got to be not just thousands, but probably millions of examples of that up and down across the country, uh, let alone the uh, kids that have nothing to go back to. I mean, you would think that would, you know, switch on a light in some people's minds and think, you know, maybe the status quo isn't working to it, working well with us right now surely we're going to look for something else you know and uh, damn damn the expense that comes across politically i think you do have to look for a more progressive alternative i mean you look at turnout 
is I think if you look at first past the post, including the turnout, I think the people that voted for the Conservatives were only a fifth of the country, and that's not by no no means a majority. And you have to wonder um, what what the people that would never vote would like to vote for. Um, but I, I wouldn't underestimate the power of the media with regards to influencing the general public. I'm not saying the general public are, are stupid or easily taken in. But I think Ed Miliband, as much as he's not fought one of the best campaigns ever, he's had a lot up against him. You've got the whole of the Murdoch press pushing against him. And um, really, what was an awful personal campaign and tirade against one individual. Um, you know, what we have is a traditionally right-wing media. And you always will do because of things like unpaid internships. Yeah, so there's only, I, I there's only what, one with, type of um, person that can that can work unpaid for say two, two or three years at a time, and that's either somebody that's already got a lot of money as it is, or somebody mm-hmm. that has a bank of mum and dad. Now I've got nothing against that, but I think if you open opportunities like that to more people, because uh, some politicians, you know, if you've got to work an unpaid intern for an MP. You know, I couldn't afford to work for, for no money for two years. I certainly know that much. So you're only going to get a certain type of MP as well, which is why we see a traditional swing on this in Yeah, I mean, for me... Um I got to be honest with you. I kind of I blanked on what I was going to say, but uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the um, uh, election results right now, and uh, obviously, what we ended—I'll tell you what we ended up with. For those of you who probably don't even know already, but probably should do. Uh, we got Conservatives on 30, 331 seats. We got Labour Party on 232. We got the SNP on 56. We got the Liberal Democrats on eight. So, you know, the Liberal Democrats getting. Uh, only leaving away with eight MPs. Obviously, it's understandable after uh, all the bad stuff that happened. But really, when um, some of the more of the stories are starting to come out about how uh, the Liberal Democrats prevented the Conservative Party from doing certain things, you sort of can't help but feel sorry for them in one part, but then can't blame them in another. Um, I don't really buy into the feeling sorry for them in a way. I, I believe MPs should be held accountable for their actions. I think Nick Clegg and the Liberal Democrats made the bed, and now they've got to lie in it. Oh no, um, Nick I mean, Clegg! You know, as far as I'm concerned, be. he can he, he you know uh, he, he 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 soured the water for himself, and obviously you know he shook the hands he shook the hand of the devil and he burned for it. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's no sympathy for him. But for some of those uh, liberal Democrats who did uh, did not want to stomach uh, what was going on and uh, basically said to the Tory party, "Well, you can say all this if you want, but we're not going to back it." I mean, there is a, a, some ounce of respect for that. Slightly. I mean, from from what I believe, we've got certain things to thank them for. So people are saying that we you know that they stopped certain policies being pushed through. But at the same time, they, they voted with the government hundreds of times. So mm-hmm. they were so. I mean, I understand you've got to have a working relationship to try and pass certain things and make sure the country is trying to run smoothly. But to be grateful for them, I don't know. I think they were just there. Uh, well, not necessarily to be grateful for them. I mean, you know, I, I just think, you know, uh, I think just a bit of an understand. I think I, I get more of an understanding of basically what's what's really been going on. Because let's face it, we've all done, you know, those jobs that um, we we all ended up working with people who we don't want to like, who we don't like, and don't really, you know, agree with. And unfortunately, you just have to basically keep going on for the sake of, you know, whatever you, whatever you're doing, the sake of your job. I mean, there's uh, there's that element to it, but in regards to uh, you know, like the bedroom tax, uh, the top-down reorganisation of the NHS, some of the really bad stuff that was going on. Obviously, there's no excuse for that, but for you know the the times where they actually did want to you know try and appear as reasonable, you know, in regard in a very difficult situation with you know, let's face it, a bunch of Tories, you know, it's um, 
I don't know. It's like, uh, there's part of me that believes, yeah, you know, you deserve it now and, you know, you deserve where you are and now you need to rebuild yourself and uh, redefine yourself politically. But, um, I mean, there is an element of, you know, maybe one, maybe two of those people shouldn't really have lost their jobs. I mean, there was a couple. I mean, I know of John Leach. um, I think it was in Manchester Withington was one of the 10 Liberal Democrats that signed the National Union of Students pledge to not vote for a rise in tuition fees and followed through with his, with his beliefs and did vote against that rise. Mm. Um, but yeah, to, to be only one of ten, and how many MPs did they have? 50. 50. 50. 52. You know, you've got to sort of think, you have made your bed and you have got to lie in it. And a lot of MPs got very upset on Thursday night at the fact they'd been voted, uh, voted out. I feel that's what being made to be held accountable looks like. If you if you if you go ahead and say you're not going to do something and say it's a line in the sand, and you will not cross that line, you go ahead and do it. People are going to be very upset, and you can't oh. lie to people like that. And it's better to get away with it. To be honest with you, I mean, with John Leach, I mean, again, I've never talked to him about this at all, so don't don't quote me on this at all. But uh, I think uh, with the situation that he found himself in, I mean, let's face it, the Labour Party did n- do not like him in the slightest. And uh, he's obviously, you know, uh, made some political rivals out of uh, other political parties as well. I don't think, you know, I mean, what I, I don't know if, really if he would have, if anyone would have accepted him defecting to their party. I think, he, I think he found himself in that situation. Whether he would have uh, survived on his own as an independent, I don't think he probably would have. But uh, I don't know, really. I think he was a... You know, I don't want to say he was a uh, you know an unfortunate victim of circumstance, but because uh, there's obviously an element of him, you know, you still stayed, you're still stuck around. You know, what were you thinking? But uh, yeah, I think uh, I don't know really. There's um, there's a part of me that feels a bit bad for for John Leach for uh, losing his seat, and uh, but for some other people who kind of just merrily went along with the with the, with the coalition and thought there was no problem. Obviously, they deserve to go. But uh, there are some people in there who I do genuinely feel sorry for, and you know, I felt genuinely sorry for people in. Uh, uh, in any party who, you know, I feel have done a good job, but have, uh, you know, the elect- the electorate have basically chopped them up to pieces and, uh, you know, threw them in the, threw- disposed of them. And uh, I just uh, feel, uh, and I feel bad about anybody who ends up in that situation. So it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. So it's taking a hit for, for you know, your, your party leader, like, as you said, doing a deal with the devil and then being burnt for it. Yeah, and really you is. have to remember at times, as much as you may hold things against people, I mean, I'm all for holding people accountable, but they are still real people with real feelings at the end of the day, and the fact is they've just lost their job. Mm. <laughs> Rightly or wrongly, you know, they've now got to go and find another one. Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, hard, the, the, the the pension part that uh, MPs get is actually I'm 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 understood to be quite considerable. So uh, I don't think uh, well, yeah, and I the, think the, it stops at one point. <laughs> I think uh, Matthew. So yeah, and I think yeah. they sort of get three months worth of pay. You know, sort of onwards of May anyway. Uh, still on the same salary. I think it's still, if you're not expecting that, which I think some Liberal Democrats would have expected a fight, but not, you know, maybe thought they might hang on to the seat. If you're not expecting that and you've got nothing backed up, you know, it must be quite hard. It must be quite tricky. It'd be interesting to find out. But again, you know, whether you've gone along with it or not, if you've not voted for what you believe in truly and you've just told the party line, then you have to be held accountable. And I think that's what a lot of Liberal Democrats have, have, have had happen to. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's put the Liberal Democrat corpse away in the fridge and let's uh, get one of the other ones out. Um, let's have a look. I mean, play Cymru. I mean, there was a little bit of momentum t- towards their towards them, and uh, but they still only ended up with the three MPs that they had, 
which, uh, I mean, obviously the momentum, obviously there was something there, and then all of a sudden that just died. I mean, again, we're none of us are Welsh, so I mean, I, I think uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know what happened there. So I think you know, I think if anyone there from Wales can can explain that to us, then I think uh, that'd be very grateful to us. But the Green Party, which I thought, okay, um, Caroline Lucas increased her majority. I mean, that's something to shout about. To be honest with you, if uh, you know, if you're a small party like the Greens and you're in a Labour target seat, and, you know, the Labour's gunning for you uh, in order to uh, you know get. Um, um, their their majority for for government, and you come out uh, smelling like uh, you know uh, fresh roses, and uh, have increased your majority by a loads, and you're si- you're standing there smiling with them with the world's brightest rosette. I mean, you you know, obviously that that's something really to shout about uh, for for many years to come. And I think uh, dare I say, you know, Caroline Lucas has uh, gained a bit of my respect by you know sticking it out and even even rebelling against her own council in order to. Uh, uh, to uh, basically get get everybody on her side. So, well, I think it's because people can see that Caroline Lucas is a very genuine person with the right morals and puts people before herself. And um, the fact that she did strike against her own council, I think that there was an issue regarding um, the the bin men down there, and the, the Green Council, I believe, haven't been too too great down in Brighton. In fact, she's rallied against her own party. I've got a lot of time for that because mm. you're not always going to agree with what your party does tr- deeply. And, and deep down, you're not going to agree with everything it does. So if you, you know, if you feel strongly on it, I don't see why you shouldn't have an opinion on it. Um, but again, you look at what the Greens and Plaid Cymru stand for. Um, again, it's, it's anti-austerity, anti-trident, um, and, and really sort of socialist left tendencies. So it does hit a chord with people. I mean, it may vary up and down the country, but it just brings me back to the point of, you know, the Conservatives being a right-wing party, you need to look at being more left. Mm. and actually having a, a decent fight on your hands as opposed to trying to almost emulate what the... It's almost like a austerity-like, watered-down Conservative Party, the Labour Party at the moment, and um, they're trying to appeal to too many middle-class voters. That's much of what the Conservative Party do, and it's, it's just not the way to go, as, as we've seen. Mm. I mean, I'm just looking at um, uh, Caroline Lucas's seat, actually. I'm just trying to look at where it is. It's uh, She's the Member of Parliament for Brighton Pavilion, uh, let's take a look at the uh, <clears throat> elections, and uh, I was looking here. She, uh, yeah, she increased. Uh, she increased um, from ten point five percent, and uh, she got forty one percent of the vote. Obviously, she didn't get the. Uh, I should tell you, did she get the majority of it? Um, oh no, she didn't really. But uh, I mean, obviously, that goes back towards you know what would have happened in a you know a, a, an, an AV referendum or in a certain not an AV referendum, an AV election or. Uh, you know what would what how interesting would it have been then? But uh, I was looking here. I mean, you've got uh, obviously you've got Labour, you've got Conservative, you've got UKIP, and you've got Liberal Democrats. And uh, but then this is another thing that annoys me the most. I mean, like I think we've got an Independent who I think I don't know who Nick uh, Yeoman's uh, allies with. But then you've got one that says who's uh, you know part of the Socialist Party. And uh, you think, uh, you know, again, it goes back to what I was saying before about the anti-austerity movement. It's like, uh, you know, you look there, you've got Greens who are anti-austerity. And then you then you look at socialists and you think, God damn it. It's like, why, why are you doing that? It's like, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, but I'm really happy that uh, Caroline Lucas is still around. Because do you remember the time um, she was in a, st- she was um, doing, doing the campaign for no page free. And uh, she was pointing out basically that... Uh, the sun was uh, readily available in Westminster for picking up in the like in the uh, in the local lobby or whatever. And uh, she basically she took off her um, her cardigan and she had a no more page free shirt on while she was giving a speech. And she was told to cover up, 
which I was thinking, and then she, and then she um, when she did that, she uh, then uh, uh, opened up the sun and says, okay, well, me wearing a Nova Page 3 shirt is not acceptable, yet having a um, a Page 3 model on a, uh, in a newspaper readily available in Westminster is totally acceptable. What is wrong here? It's like, you know, it was... Uh, it was a great moment to uh, to watch, and hope we'll hear, have more great moments like that as well. Um, well we, yeah, I've, got, I've got a lot of time for him, and it goes to show again someone that will stand by the principles regardless. I think she was told off because it was uh, unparliamentary wear, um, what she had on. And, you know, once again, it comes back to a very old system. Um, you know, you're telling people what to wear in certain place I understand there's got to be a certain element of professionalism but if you want to make a stand against something and wear a t-shirt then I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that yeah. within Parliament but yet it's more accept- yeah, apparently according to uh, the Westminster rules it's more acceptable to have a uh, page three of the sun where you have basically a nearly naked girl with a tits hanging out basically so it's uh, yeah you just you, you just do wonder sometimes um, we've already spoken a bit about UKIP. I mean, obviously they went down in MP. I mean, they, I mean, uh, the the BBC kind of confused me with this because it was like they were saying, "Oh, this is the first time that UKIP have gained an MP in a general election." Well, the fact that they had two MPs, I think, in by elections was pretty more impressive than you know what was going on in this general election. And uh, you know, uh, I was looking at the obviously the seat for South Thanet was obviously the one to watch because uh, if Nigel Farage had gained that, obviously you know he would probably be uh, uh, smiling and probably be drinking for a good week. But obviously that wasn't what was ha- what happened, and uh, he didn't gain that, and uh, he, uh, I think, actually did worse than I think he predicted he was going to do, and uh, eventually he was uh, one of the uh, leaders who resigned. So uh, obviously I know we've not got much time for you, Kip, but uh, I mean, but here's the thing though: it's like, don't you feel a bit cheated though uh, from, from when what what he said? Because basically he said, "Yeah, I'm going to resign, but uh, they, I'm not going to rule myself out running for the leadership again." Yeah, I think he was completely arrogant and overconfident and assumed he was going to sweep through South Thanet with an overall majority that no one could touch. I think he's been caught by surprise. I think he's done his own private polling, which showed he would be about 7% ahead of the closest candidate, the Conservative candidate. I think he's been caught slightly uh, offhand. So he's, he's sort of gone, right, now I've got to resign, otherwise it looks like I'm lying don't actually want to go because let's have it right UKIP is Nigel Farage he's he's the face and the voice of the party if he goes there's not a lot left um, and people will will cease to continue to talk about him and he's going to go away and he'll have a nice chilled out summer because he's done done his bit he'll come back and if he's going to throw his hat back into the ring I think he will become leader again because apart from Suzanne Evans who you know for UKIP is is quite professional in her way and I think quite impressive um, barring her politics, the way she conducts herself and the way she's uh, she is regarding the media. I think she's one of the more professional YouTubers. <laughs> ah, from her, I can't see any, anyone else that, that, that could carry that part yeah. the way. I'll tell you what, Matthew, I'll, I'll, do you, you know, have you ever seen those people on the street who like have like, have like a, a bass drum like, strapped to their back? They've got like an accordion that uh, they play in the front and then they've got <laughs> like, a, a, like a, a mouth organ like just, uh, you know, st- stretch in front of them and they have like the cymbals between their knees. That's UKIP. I mean that is you. Yeah, it's Nigel Farage, a one-man band who has the who's playing the cymbals, playing the mouth organ. Like is uh, uh, how do you? I'm trying to think how you operate the uh, the bass drum. I don't know if you like pull like a lever or something like that while uh, like that. And that's basically that's basically him walking down the street while somehow managing to juggle a, uh, a, a, a smoking a cigarette and uh, drinking a, drinking a pint. You know, it's like you know I would actually pay money to see that. Actually, you know, if uh, Nigel Farage would like to. Uh, 
do that at some point. I'll make a donation <laughs> to the party if I see that, to be honest with you. But, uh, um, yeah, so uh, well, with that image in our head, I think we'll move away from that. Uh, um, this is probably... I want to go through some of the shock uh, um, shocks of the night, and obviously the first one's going to be Ed Balls. And, uh, you know, he obviously... Mind you, he wasn't so shocking, because if you think about it, this was a guy in Morley and Outwood who was defending a 1,000 majority. And I don't know about you, but if you're defending a 1,000 majority and your Labour message is not going well, I mean, what do you? I wasn't too surprised that uh, you know he just lost out by a couple of hundred votes. To be quite honest with you, I th- well, to be honest, I mean, I know it's a 1,000 majority, but because of what a name he is with regards to the political spectrum, especially within the Labour Party, I was extremely shocked. Even when there was a recount, I thought he's going to pull through here. But, 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 you know, to, to be ousted as he was, I was incredibly surprised. And I think it would have been different for him if it wasn't the fact that he was Chancellor for the Labour Party or, or what would be Chancellor for the Labour Party because he's never going to get away from that thing of, oh, you can't trust Labour with the economy. And the fact that him and Mr Miliband defended, um, you know, the, the actions in 2008 and borrowed, we didn't borrow too much money. It isn't sending a great message out just to... To people after we've not long come out of a recession, so it is shocking in one sense. But you know, as you've said, if the message isn't particularly positive um, to the general public, yeah, I think it was just more shocking because he's such a name. I think for me, well, I mean, in regards to you know, labour overspending, I mean, I, I can't believe he actually said that because keep in mind, this was a, a, a government that spent eight billion pounds on a on an IT project that basically went under because it just didn't work properly. And then let's not forget about the you know the uh, the, the mysterious weapons of mass destruction that somehow meant, went missing when we invaded Iraq in two thousand and three. I mean, this is a government that has a lot of money. Uh, unaccounted for in, and disappeared into various projects that uh, never came about really and uh, it, for me it was just you know you can't really you, know, you must have some kind of uh, when I was said I heard Ed Miliband say that I was thinking there must have been like you know a little bit of you know a billion there a billion there you could have said well maybe we could have saved that money at least given yourself at least you could have given the electorate a as a, like a perception of saying, well, maybe Ed Miliband and all his guys that actually have learned from lessons from the last government, and maybe they are going to be, you know, economically efficient by learning these lessons. Well, there is that, and I think what what the Labour Party needs to do is it does need to reinvent it, reinvent itself. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to have, uh, you know, the next party leader, it cannot be anybody in my eyes that has been involved in previous governments. It needs to be somebody that's 2010 onwards, because otherwise, I mean, Andy Burnham's been been given uh, sort of the favourites with the bookies and whatnot, and I'm a big admirer of Andy Burnham. I've got a lot of time for him. The problem being, he's he's not only has he got the mid Staffordshire scandal handing over him, but he has been part of the Labour movement for a long time. I think you do need to look towards uh, younger, fresher. Uh, MPs with different ideas and that, that could take, you know, you're not being held accountable for things in the past because you weren't there, basically, and all you, you know I mean, I, I, another name that's been bandied about was Dan Jarvis, who I believe has actually ruled himself out in the last half hour or so, which is a shame because he's a, he's a new fresh MP, he can relate to ordinary people, whatever ordinary people are, um, you know, he's ex-military he's an honest guy that's, that's earned his bread over the years, he's a single parent after his wife passed away, I think it's someone that people would relate to um, he, he would be have? a great face for the labour movement, he really would, and on top of that, 
Imagine if he was like one-on-one with David Cameron in a leaders debate, but we all know that's probably not going to happen anymore. I'm sure somehow David Cameron will lever his way out of that. But, uh, I mean, he could, you know, if regards to being, you know, he's an ex-Marine, so, you know, he could say, you know, uh, to him, well, I've actually, you know, been in, you know, the armed forces. I actually know what uh, tactical operations are like and stuff like that. And, you know, what can you say to that, you know, if, uh, you know, we need to make a calculated decision on the battlefield? And he could definitely, dare I could say, he could win over Tory hearts and minds by doing that. I think by having that uh, kind of pre- preparation and that kind of respect that comes out of being in the armed forces. Now, uh, obviously, we've got to be careful about you know politicizing uh, uh, army records because uh, I do remember the uh, the presidential election between John Kerry and George W. Bush about you know did this guy appear in this you know in this conflict? Did this guy actually serve his record? Yada 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 and uh, and so forth. But uh, I think Dan Jarvis, give him a bit more seasoning and give him a bit more time. I think he could actually turn out to be. Uh, a very good uh, labor leader somewhere somewhere down the line. Whether it, if it's not going to be today, then at least it should be maybe in five years, maybe in ten years' time. I think he's, he's destined to be a, a labor leader. You know the reasons he's given is he's you know as I've mentioned, his wife passed away in 2010. And he has a relatively young family. Well, as his kids are going to grow up, and you know he's not going to have to be around as much. Um, he's destined to be a labor MP. He has all the the uh, the attributes. And I think what's quite interesting is if you've ever seen him stand up to ask a question in Prime Minister's questions, there is no heckling from the Conservative benches. He's a man that commands respect and people have respect for him because he's such a professional MP. You'll never see him caught up in, um, you know, expensive scandals or... And even, you know, he's a man of the people. There was a story a couple of months before the election campaign truly started and there was a, a prospective mugger on the London Underground who... He walked over to him with a bottle in his hand and said, give me your phone or I'm going to bottle you. And for a man to stand up like Dan Jarvis and say, that isn't going to happen. And for the mugger to be that scared that he then walked off and didn't quite know what to do with himself, says a lot about the man. He's not a man to be messed with. And I think he will be young. You look at what David Cameron was like before he was elected leader. He was elected leader because he was considered young within the party movement. He was relatively unknown and he was seen as as a start of a new beginning for the Conservative Party. So I think that's what Labour need to look towards. They don't need faces that have been there a long time, which is what, what my old Andy Burnham back and maybe David Lammy and people like that. Um, I think you need someone that's young, fresh, relatively new within the political spectrum and somebody that can't be held accountable for previous mistakes because that's where sort of Ed Miliband, Ed Balls and people like that will go wrong. Yeah, I did hear about that story about... Um much uh, we call it about Dan Jarvis in regards to that mugger with a with a bottle and uh, to be honest yeah, with you, I think yeah. I, say, I think I think that guy probably had more luck uh, mugging Chuck Norris than he would um, uh, getting Dan Jarvis. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, that was uh, probably a, the that has to be the biggest mistake of his life. That guy. Um, anyway, well, we moved quite off on Ed Ball, so uh, we'll move on to some other shocks. Uh, I mean, Vince Cable, I mean, given that, I think his area was uh, quite student-orientated, and given the fact that, obviously, the tuition thieves basically came back and bought, bit him, bit him in the arse. I mean, obviously, that's uh, that's a given. I mean, David Laws, same story, really, and uh, obviously, he lost his seat as well. Ed Davies, Simon Hughes, I mean, we could probably na- keep naming off liberal Democrats, and we probably have talked to them about them before, and uh, I mean, but uh, really, Looking back at it now, you know, looking at the uh, the the fact that they get garnered a lot of their support from the student populations, it's no surprise really that they all just kind of just got just got uh, ticked off really, and uh, were picked off by uh, other other uh, politicians. 
Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me, as I've already said, no. the Liberal Democrats made the bed. And I think they all knew it was going to be a tough fight. I don't think there's many that thought they would lose the seat, such as your Vince Cables and your Simon Hughes, because they've been there a long time. And regardless of past mistakes in this government, you know, they are widely respected individuals within their own constituencies and communities. I think the biggest shock for me, by far, was, and I mean, I know it was, it was touted for a long time, but I was unsure, was young Mary Black in... Uh, that stood up against Douglas Carr's... Uh, not Douglas Carr, Douglas Alexander. Alexander. Douglas Alexander, yeah. You know, he, he's one of the faces, along with Jim Murphy, of Scottish Labour. He, we, I think he assumed he was going to be um, Foreign Secretary, um, you know, assuming he had a Labour win. And Mary Black's a 20-year-old girl with... Uh, still a student. You know, the SNP have completely... I think she, she overturned... I think there was a swing of over 20,000 people that have gone yeah. from Douglas Alexander to her. I think what an outstanding story. She's now the youngest MP in over 300-odd years. Um, that was one of the biggest shocks for me, as well as Jim Murphy, because I thought Jim Murphy might just hold on. Because, um, you know, these, these were once, you know, up until the last year or so, relatively safe seats. Labour counted on that, that bank of seats in Scotland that would always be there for them. I think, again, they made their bed not to lie in it when mm. they held hands with Nick Clegg and David Cameron and Ed Miliband all went up to Scotland um, hand in hand, pleading with the country to stay. I think that just sort of showed people, you're no different from each other, really. I think it did them a lot more harm than good, as has been proven during this election. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'll definitely say about that, uh, Douglas Alexander losing a seat to, uh, to, to Mary Black, and that is that. Uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, I was speaking with my family when we, when the, like, when the, it was first announced that uh, Douglas Alexander is no longer uh, politically with us, if you will. And uh, I just thought, well, obviously, the swing obviously has something to do with the brand value, the fact that the SNP has had ma- made massive sways in Scotland to uh, uh, please Scottish people, and so there was that aspect of it. And uh, obviously, I think there was some disdain for uh, for Douglas Alexander because uh, I mean, if you. Look Look at him on question time. I mean, he wasn't really that popular of a panelist when you look at it. I mean, he didn't really when it, at least some of the times when I've been watching him and the times that I've been watching clips back, uh, watching on him. I think I don't know really. I think for some strange reason, I just feel some of those appearances probably did more harm than good for him. I think when he was on up there, because I think he did come across as a bit kind of snarky, really. And uh, kind of like, you know, he thought he was like all in the know and stuff like that. And I think, uh, well, as we all know, I think uh, he uh, he obviously didn't survive that. And he lost out to a 20-year-old uh, uh, university student. And actually, for me, that could actually be Nicola Sturgeon's blessing, to be honest with you. I mean, let, let, let's keep this in mind. I mean, obviously, if she stood as an independent, she wouldn't have stood a chance. But uh, the fact that she has the SNP uh, brand value to her, she obviously got over with the electorate. And now, Nicola Sturgeon uh, has somebody who embodies, can actually potentially embody the student movement of Scotland and can be used, dare I say, against David Cameron in either PMQs or in debates or whatever uh, to champion the student movement in Scotland and possibly even in the UK. I think Nicola Sturgeon actually does have a good uh, asset in uh, in her, in her uh, 56 MPs that she's got, and uh, I'd be very surprised if she shouldn't utilise her in the way that I think she would. I, I wouldn't be very surprised if she did the same as well, and I think with the... The best thing of the branding of the SNP is because of the amount of nationalism and pride since the referendum, even with your no voters, I think that you may get some that will start to come round and go, do you know what, we can sort of do this on our own. We've seen that we, we've got the power to, to be electing these people. Um, 
the, the amount of pride that's up there, they could have quite, quite possibly stood a load of mannequins as prospective MPs and still got vast, vast majorities. Yeah. I think, I, I think you can say that about a lot of constituencies, to be honest. But, uh. <laughs> um, but it, I think it's, it just goes to show there's a lot of people that are fed up with uh, the same old political spectrum that um, doesn't seem to work for the vast majority of ordinary people. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, for what one can say, let's say for example, you have an ultra safe Labour seat. I wouldn't be surprised if one day it's like you know, returning officer comes up to the uh, the podium and says, uh, um, "What? Ed example, Conservative, one thousand and two, a bag of potatoes, Labour Party, twenty five thousand six hundred and three. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, that was one situation that ended up but uh, in, in a safe Labour seat. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've already talked about that already, really. But, uh, I mean, let's talk about some other shocks. Um, uh, well, mind you, this isn't shocking for me, but probably is shocking for everyone else. George Galloway is no longer a member of Parliament. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I suppose it depends on your political stance. But, um, yeah, I, I found it a little bit shocking because he he he's another one, whether you agree with him or not, He's one of the more outstanding speakers within Parliament. Um, he's, he has such a way with him. And I think he's another one. He's, he's almost similar to Robert Mugabe's fear campaign. He, he uses the, the amount of dirty tricks that he tries to use. And I believe tonight he's actually taking legal action against the, the election, uh, against the result. I don't know why, where oh, he's with that because it was a vast majority lost by um, I mean, he's like, well, oh, he he was such way. a he was such a great MP, wasn't he, Matthew? When he was uh, going up all the, all the time to Scotland to uh, make sure that uh, they were they were still they were still part of the union, and all those efforts he put into his constituents by appearing on, uh, on his own television show on Press TV and on uh, Russia Today. I mean, it's like to be honest with you. I mean, looking back uh, the last couple of years, I mean, I, again, I've never dealt, I've never looked at George Galloway's res, uh, case work in his uh, in Bradford West. So you know, any respect to uh, support who want to challenge me on that, then I'll uh, I'll wholeheartedly accept that. But in regards to uh, the way he's behaved over the last couple of years, I mean, I don't know if you watch Russia Today or if you uh, you know uh, managed to uh, go across uh, to uh, to Press TV. It's still available on- online, even though it's uh, now banned by Ofcom from uh, from free broadcast. But, uh, I mean, for me, it sounds like, you know, George Galloway either needs to pick whether he's going to be a member of Parliament who is representing his constituents or he's going to be a television show host. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he can't be both. No, I agree. And, I mean, I was a big supporter of what Ed Miliband was going to put forward with regards to MPs having second jobs. We've got MPs um, throughout Parliament that are barristers and will be rarely there for the constituents because they're earning more being a barrister than they are an MP. And they're being paid by taxpayers' money, and it's it's not a, it's not a small amount. So you've got to put one one or the other forward. And um, regards to George Galloway, I think he was the MP that earned the most during the last Parliament. He's sort of earning a quarter of a million pounds a year from his press, his press TV, and his various TV appearances and his other media work that he does. So if he's swanning off doing things like that in all different countries and all different parts of our country. You know, you have to. You, I wonder how much casework he actually got through in Bradford West. Yeah. Um, so maybe it isn't too much of a shock locally that he's now gone. 
I mean, one thing about, you know, Nigel Farage, obviously he got uh, slated for uh, hiring his uh, German uh, wife as a secretary, but obviously the reason he did that, for, in his in his opinion, was that, uh, you know, she she's there in the very early hours of the morning in case, you know, the phone rings or whatever, which, you know, is legitimate because, you know, she he's, you know, she's around him the entire time. So obviously make, make, make her your secretary. You know, that's uh, that, that for me doesn't appear to be a problem. But, uh, you know, in regard, if that's the case and, um, you know, if that's what... Uh, a, a politician's life is somewhat like that he has to basically hire uh, someone very close to him so uh, the, you know, the workload becomes manageable I just don't understand how George Galloway pulled pulled all of this off well I mean, apparently he didn't because he got he, he lost the election but uh, you know it's just it was it was a very strange case of uh, and you know if George Galloway does stand again in another constituency I mean I've heard he's going to be stand, he's going to be going for mayor of London which yeah you know, I believe that's the case actually why it's like why it's like you know the, the there's no way um london is going to put up with george galloway i just i just feel like that's going to be that, that 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 to me i think he's just wasting his time doing doing that there i think as we all know it's going to be a toss up between um you know whoever decides to replace boris johnson as the conservative candidate and uh, obviously labor's currently on the rise in, in london so it wouldn't surprise me if they took that again but you know, in regards to someone else levering themselves in there, I just feel like it's a waste of time. I think, given the current trends that are currently going on in the city, so I think he's just a man. It's it's a sort of a sad state of affairs that he, he can't clearly let go. Um, you think the amount of money that he earns from his various media work that he, that he just go off and carry on doing that? But I think he's. I mean, he stood for. You know, he's been at the Labour Party and he's now gone to respect, and now he's looking at them. The mayor's role, I think he's maybe he craves power, I'm not sure. Maybe we'd have to ask George Galloway. I don't know. I mean, for as far as I'm aware, I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but the Respect Party, I don't know if they have, like, any representation in London at all. I mean, maybe I could be wrong about that, but as far as I'm aware, it's uh, it's pretty much dominated by, you know, the Labour, as always, you know, the Labour Party, Conservatives and the Liberals. So, uh, I mean, who knows? Anyway, we've already talked about uh, Caroline Lucas and the Green Party, so we'll move on from there. Oh, yeah, uh, Employment Minister Esther McVeigh, probably not too surprising. She lost her seat to Labour in Wirral West, uh, so she basically she was the, as far as I'm aware, the only Tory in in, uh, in Merseyside, and now, obviously, that's gone now. I know, and I can't say I weren't too uh, upset to see her go either. I think she's slowly become the grim reaper of the unemployed. Oh, um, absolutely. The, the the disgraceful way that you know the the back to work schemes by Atos and now Maximus have sort of been brought in under the coalition government. I think maybe she got in more on personality than actual aptitude. Um, maybe I'm being slightly harsh. I'm not sure, but yeah. I mean, I, I I didn't find it. I don't know if it was a surprise. I was just very pleased to see her go. Um, I mean, Liverpool is obviously quite traditionally red as well. So yeah, I mean, I've I've got I haven't got a lot of time for estimate of her. I tell you what, if uh, what do you call it? Um, you know that new Judge Rinder show that's currently appeared on ITV, yeah, which uh, I reckon if uh, she lost her seat sooner, she probably would have got that job. So uh, she probably would. Probably, probably would. would. I mean, they're both very poisonous people, from oh. what I gather. Yeah, I mean, well, she's a, she's frustrating enough to uh, you know to basically flip on the TV, watch it for like five seconds, and then change the channel over. Um, let's have a look. Scottish uh, Secretary uh, Margaret Curran, she lost her seat in Glasgow East, but mind you, there's a lot of Labour casualties in Glasgow East, so probably that wasn't too surprising uh, in, in that sense. We've already gone over that as well. Oh yeah, and uh, Boris Johnson, he's back in the fold now, so he re- he's now representing Uxbridge and uh, South uh, Ruslip. 
So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that was a surprise. I think he's obviously been given a safe conservative seat. I think what well, a lot of people forget though is that Boris was once an MP before he went for the mayor of London role and wasn't actually very good at it. I think it's just a case of getting him in nice and early to take over from David Cameron in a couple of years' time. I don't know. It's like there is. Um, I mean, obviously, I have, I have a friend who's a very enthusiastic Boris Johnson fan. I think it's just because he found him entertaining as mayor. And uh, but to be honest with you, you can be entertaining, but being a politician is a very different thing. But um, I mean, I don't know. It's like, but this is the thing with Boris Johnson. I mean, I don't think the Conservative Party, definitely not now, after they've uh, you know David Cameron has miraculously uh, pulled out a majority out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, and also you know, for, so I think a lot of I think that's kind of. Uh, uh, bounced back a lot on Boris Johnson, really saying, you know, well, David Cameron got over being this type of politician. Does the Conservative Party really need like a rough around the edges like leader to lead the Conservative Party when they're, you know, they're uh, English and refined, uh, you know, um, David Cameron with, you know, his uh, nice family, you know, and uh, you know, very well presented, um, you know, personality. I mean, do, you know, does do they really is it really a safe bet to say to the conservative party well you're going to switch gears now and you're going to get this you know uh this guy with uh, this really scruffy blonde hair who looks like he cuts it every once every you know once a month well i think i think there will be certain reservations within the conservative party party from your more traditional conservatives but i think what it is is uh you know you're going to get a lot of people voting for him purely on personality not really knowing what he stands for I mean, let's have it right. Boris is a buffoon. You can't, you can't hide away from that. No. But he's not stupid. I think he's he's very controlling. I mean, his own sister has admitted in documentaries that he's very controlling. Um, and I think what you have to remember is he is a conservative. At the end of the day, he still stands for what the conservatives are. And it made me laugh, really. I mean, I heard a lot of people in the election campaign when I spoke to people locally. They said, "Well, I, I, I can't, I can't vote for people for the Labour Party purely because of Ed Miliband." I said, "Well, why was that?" Well, because of his geeky style and the way he is and the way he conducts himself, I can't imagine him going seeing Barack Obama and commanding respect or you Vladimir Putin's. And I thought, what? Well, but you'd like Boris to be going meeting these people, and you think he'd command respect with the the way he carries himself and uh, and whatnot? I find it a bit hard um, with regards looking at people personally. Well, yeah, I think I think if, if Boris comes in, I think it's going to be a straight run between Boris and Theresa May personally, and I think Boris will come out a bit a lot better. Yeah. If this was... Be the personalities, you could be looking out in the Conservatives for a very long time, which is very concerning. I don't know, it's like, if this was like, you know, a television show rather than like a serious political, uh, you know, you know, obviously politics, you know, which is taken extremely seriously. I mean, for me, I mean, you know, you have Vladimir Putin, who is obviously got this uh, very strong, um, you know, very masculine kind of, you know, obviously this no nonsense, uh, you know, political aura around him. And, uh, you know, you look at every leader like, you know, Jim seems to struggle in, in front of him every time, you know, he's, uh, you know, obviously obviously he's you know when he's in his elements i mean what one leader would you like to see come and try to you know have a bit of a joke with him really and uh, you know make him you know because that's one thing that boris johnson is actually good at doing you know given all his faults he can you know seem to find fun in different other different people i mean he's done it with andrew Marr on on the on the sunday morning sofa he's done it with various other people as well i mean there's part of me that believes he could probably i don't know in some kind of really weird and awkward way that he could some kind of find a way with, uh, you know, people like that to uh, kind of uh, find uh, a funny side to to them. 
and like kind of like have a go at that and you know or you've like poke fun at like uh, serious politicians but obviously that would be entertaining if it was like you know House of Cards or the West Wing or something like that but obviously in the serious world of politics yeah I just don't think that's a good idea well, no, and I think it's all well and good being able to make jokes with people, but I don't think there's anything funny about over, having over a million people in food banks and people dying on back-to-work schemes. No, it's and not. That's, that's what the Conservatives have pushed, so if, if that's something he's quite happy to take over and have a mantle of. And I, I, when, when you watch Boris, he's all well and good and very funny when he's having his own way, but when he's challenged on certain things, he, he, he doesn't quite like that. So I think it'll be an interesting couple of years we could be looking at being out of Europe Scotland list and having Boris at the helm of the country I mean I don't ever woke up in a some sort of paranormal nightmare but um, yeah it's going to be interesting um, and it'd be interesting how Boris takes to the whole leadership um, you know of the Conservative Party I think he's going to be a shoe-in Mm. And he's, he's going to be under a lot of pressure, really. People are going to be expecting big things from him. I don't think he'll be able to handle it. Well, that is if that bit people want him. I mean, let's keep in mind, I mean, there's going to be other... Uh, I mean, Theresa May, um, there's going to be other people in the Conservative Party who are going to be wanting a gun for, uh, you know, uh, David Cameron's seat when he decides to uh, pack it in for the day. I mean, it's going to be interesting. And this is the thing, though. It's uh, it's going to be, you know, the Conservative Party, you know, forget, you know, I know, obviously, their their main thing is obviously, you know, to uh, you know hurt the poor, which is uh, pretty much what they're doing, even though they won't they won't admit to it. And uh, I mean, even though it is in that instance, it is pretty cosmopolitan from what you've got there. I mean, you've got different, various different uh, uh, conservative ideas and different conservative outputs. Uh, within you know this this um, um, cabinet that he's put together recently, and I mean obviously I mean Michael Gove is the Justice Secretary. Obviously after all the uh, the crap that he's put people through, I you know he's obviously nowhere near for the uh, the, the leadership of the party. But uh, I don't know Theresa May, various there's various maybe Philip Hammond to a degree. Some there are some people in there who do look like they're going to bring something different to the table. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or not for the Conservative Party, or whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing for other people in general, I'm not too sure. But, uh, I mean, obviously these next five years are going to be really what we're going to be concentrating on. And uh, really, I mean, why I say that the Conservative Party is pretty much uh, won the election, but probably undeservingly, is because really they're not going to learn anything from the last couple of years that they spent in government. And really, they're going to, they're going to end up hurting a lot of people out of their own other own ignorance really and uh, not really understanding what the real issues are affecting people that are on food banks that are struggling with work that are being sanctioned by benefits and they're gonna mainly concentrate on those uh people who are in the higher ups in society and the middle class and they're going to build those up and they're going to knock everyone else down and they really what we're going to end up with is a, a wider rich and poor gap than what we've got, got, got right now i believe in the next five years yeah, I think it's just going to be a, a continuing class war and the, the continuing of the politics of fear and hate and turning individual groups against each other. Mm. You're still going to have your immigrants pitted against your, your homegrown citizens here. You're going to have your employed against the unemployed and these so-called benefit scroungers that we hear so much about. I think the next five years are going to be very telling for a lot of different people. And I think it's very important to stay informed to hold hands and stand against these cuts and what what is going to be coming over these next five years um, and stay together. Don't don't allow politicians to turn you against each other. You know, it never seems to be the politician's fault when something goes wrong. It's always, you know, a certain type of social group um, that that are a drain on society. So it's just important just to stand together and be, be fighting the same cause, really, which is mainly getting the Conservative Party out of power.
Yeah, well, there's also uh, putting the feet to the fire of other politicians as well. I mean, let's keep this in mind. The Conservative Party aren't the only... uh, They are the ones with the majority and they are the government, but at the end of the day, there's an opposition bench, there's opposition parties, and uh, really, I think we need to hold them just as accountable, I think, as the the government for uh, making sure that they put the arguments forward for, for vulnerable people. Because at the end of the day, if they're just going to go on the narrative of okay, well let's gun for the conser- let's gun for those votes that the conservatives have got. I mean, at the end of the day, the uh, the, the food bank uh, debate, the uh, I mean, the um, the debates about our welfare system, the debates about immigration, they're just going to get lost in translation. I think Dan, I think I'm I'm slightly sick of politicians saying. Uh, right, well, they're awful, they're rubbish, they're horrible, so vote for us. No, no, I want to hear what you're going to bring to the table and why we should vote for you as opposed to why we shouldn't vote for them. Uh, there needs to be a progressive message full of hope and full of um, you know, emphasis and posit- positivity for the future. And we need to make sure that the opposition bench are listening um, and changing for what the people want them to stand for as opposed to, oh, well, uh, the conservatives are rubbish. I mean, voting at times has, has become... Um, voting for the second least worst party, so you know we won't vote for the Conservatives because they're they're not very good. But Labour aren't very good either. But they're not quite as bad as the Conservatives. That seems to be what it's, it's turned into: voting for the second least party, uh, the second least worst party. So, yeah, I think it's important that over the next five years you lobby your local MP, you, you make sure they are held accountable for the way they may or may not vote in certain issues. And make sure that they know that, they've, that the people will hold them to accountable, as people have done um, for the Liberal Democrats on Thursday night. Um, but no, I think it's just very important that we all stick together and we are fighting the same cause and have the same agenda. Mm. And with that, I think we're done. So, uh, I mean... Uh, I'm really surprised we went for an hour and ten minutes, to be honest with you. I thought this was going to be a 40-minute thing, but, uh, you know, because uh, normally we like, uh, I mean, I don't know, this is probably the first time you listen to the show, Matthew, but uh, we usually like, incorporate, like, you know, stuff we, like, grew up with in the 90s and things like that, and uh, uh, we still keep, like, our eye on, like, things like Nickelodeon and uh, Cartoon Network and stuff like that, just stuff we kind of grew up with, really, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed that we managed to uh, get through an hour and uh, ten minutes of, uh, of non-stop politics, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, Matthew, I really, really do, really do appreciate you coming on the show. You know, giving us your viewpoints and everything like that. And uh, you know, if you want to come back on the show at all, you know, like uh, you know, give us a bell. And uh, you know, if you want to talk about anything at all, then yeah, uh, let us know. And uh, yeah, it'd be really great to have you back on the show again. Fantastic! Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up the show. I'll let you go. And uh, but so, Matthew, you've been you've been great. Thank you very much for being on, being on, and uh, all the best for the future. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers, Matthew. Good night. And that is the end of the show. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm understanding. Obviously, we didn't get to uh, talk about any, like any 90s kids stuff, which we normally get to talk in. First of all, one thing I do want to wrap up is that I am aware of Craig Bartlett's recent uh, Instagram post, which uh, shows uh, him with uh, Jim Lang working on some music production. Is it Hey Arnold related? Uh, he's not said anything to me. He's not said anything to anybody else. He's just basically tweeted that post. And let's keep this in mind. He's also tweeted stuff like this in the past. So, you know, there was one thing that he said he was going through scripts and he posted uh, Hey Arnold uh, with holding a script in his hand, which was a uh, scene out of the uh, um, the one of the Hey Arnold's. Uh, it was um, I was a school play. There we go. That, that, that uh, episode where Helga finally gets to kiss Arnold and everything like that. But... Uh, 
Um, he posted that before, and um, you know, it didn't necessarily mean that that was what he was working on. It doesn't necessarily mean it's Hey Arnold related. So let's keep this in mind. Jim Lang also uh, worked on various other projects with Craig Barlow in regards to Dinosaur Train, other things as well. He's always been kind of his uh, his right hand man, if you will, in regards to uh, music production and uh, uh, doing the uh, the audio the audio bits of um, of his shows. So let's all just kind of see how it all pans out. Let's wait for official information first and uh, let's not get too overexcited because this could mean anything in regards to uh, what he was doing. So, <coughs> I do apologize. I'm really surprised we went for as long as we did because I've got a really bad throat at the moment and uh, so I'm going to probably, uh, my throat's probably, my voice is probably going to give out in the next couple of minutes or so. So, I did say I was going to wrap up the show but uh, again, uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Uh, obviously, we're going to be back to normal next week. Uh, I'm hoping to have Harry on the show again. Hoping to have Josh uh, various other people as well, if uh, they want to come on. And uh, actually, tell you what, I will actually give a shout out to everybody. If you want to come on the show and talk about anything at all, you know, we're an open mic pretty much uh, for the RMS show for the next couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, if you have something you really desperately want to talk about, or if there's something you really want to raise awareness with, we've had all sorts of people on the show. We've had uh, people campaigning for autism awareness. We've had people. Ca- um, Campaigning for uh, for election, we've had people uh, wanting to uh, bring up certain causes. We've had authors, we've had um, people producing films, we've had uh, all sorts of people uh, on the show. We've had Craig Bartlett, which has been really cool and uh, which I never thought I'd ever get to do, and I did. So that in itself is really amazing. And also we've had uh, voice actors from various shows. Uh, we've also had actors and actresses of various persuasions, voiceovers people like that, so if you think there's uh, somebody we should be talking to, or if you want to come on the show yourself, you know, get on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Aaron Metzer Show, or message me on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Aaron Metzer Show, and uh, you know, get into contact with me there, um, I really appreciate any any con- input you want to bring into the show and anything fun we can talk about. And actually, you'll notice that this is the first episode of the show that we actually didn't use the soundboard. So I'm hoping we're going to get to use the soundboard a little bit more. So uh, I should tell you what, maybe we can uh, say what you say we haven't used the soundboard yet today. Fool you! Well, I just fooled you there because we just used it then. So uh, there we go. Hopefully, I'm going to have a few more uh, sounds on the soundboard uh, racked up soon. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm just pushing time forward, so I might as well let you go. My voice is going to get out at any point in time now, so thank you very much for checking out the show. It's facebook.com forward slash RMS show. It's twitter.com forward slash RMS show. If you want to find me on uh, the RSS feeds, it is uh, iTunes, it is Stitcher, it is Player FM, it's all the podcast distributors that bring out the RMS show. Just search RMS show, A R U N M E H T A for Aaron Meta, and see if you can find it. And also, you can find us always on mixcloud.com forward slash Aaron matter thank you very much for checking out the show i'll catch you next week hopefully harry will be on hopefully josh will be on too we'll talk about more uh, politics stuff talk about more 90s stuff and uh, various other weird and wacky things that are currently going on in our world and on our globe today so thank you very much for checking out the show and i'll catch you next week it's all right bye for now